Chapter Four of Hartman the Anarchist by E. Douglas Fawcett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fugitives from the Law. On Saturday evening, I addressed a stormy meeting at Stepney. Since I bade adieu to Mrs. Hartman, much had occurred to rouse the sleeping tigers in the country. Riots had been reported from many great towns while handbills of the most violent sort were being thrust on the workers of London. Revolutionary councils had long been scattered by a thousand demagogues, and it appeared now that the ingathering of the harvest was nigh. A renewal of anarchist outrages had terrorised the well-to-do, and fanned the extremists into vehemence. A terrible explosion was reported from Kensington. Three houses, including that of the Home Secretary, Mr. Bainton, having been completely wrecked, while ten of their inmates had been killed, and some fourteen more or less severely injured. A disastrous catastrophe had been narrowly averted from the mansion house. It may be imagined, therefore, that it was with a grave face that I ascended the platform that evening, my course being rendered so difficult by reason of the extremists. On the one hand by the Conservatives, who to my thinking were perpetuating the conditions whence anarchy drew its breath, namely, a wretched proletariat exploited by capital, on the other, by the extreme socialists who despaired of effective advance by way of ordinary parliamentary reforms. Both parties were strongly represented that night, and political feeling running so high, the prospect of an orderly meeting seemed shadowy, I had some unpleasant truths to press home, and was not to be deterred from this duty. Before rising to speak, I glanced anxiously around the hall, and imagined my feelings when I found that Burnett was missing. This breach of his engagement was ominous. That he had had a hand in the outrages was possible. His tone of late had been most threatening, and the influence of Schwarz was malefic though the supposition was one I did not like to entertain. At any rate, he might well have been suspected of complicity, and forced to seek refuge in flight. It was with a heavy heart that I obeyed the behest of the chairman, and rose to address the meeting. What I said matters little. Severe condemnation of the outrages, a sharp critique of the individualist conservative groups, an appeal for unity and order in our agitation, the points upon which I laid emphasis. I had spoken for about half an hour, when my audience refused to let me proceed. Previously to this, interruptions had been frequent. But now a violent uproar arose, the uproar led to a fight, and a rush was made for the platform, which, albeit gallantly defended, was speedily enough stormed. I had the pleasure of knocking over one ruffian who leapt at me, brandishing a chair, but a brutal kick from behind sent me spinning into the crush by the steps. Severely cuffed and pummeled, I was using my fists freely, when the gas was suddenly turned off, and the struggle being summarily damped, I managed somehow to get into the street. And now came the exciting business of the night. In the mass of shouting enthusiasts outside, it was useless to look for Burnett, I determined, therefore, to track him down to his own quarters. Passing back into the committee room, I hastily scribbled some rather indignant lines to my chairman, and then, 
pulling my hat over my eyes, elbowed my way through the press. By the time I got clear of the street, I was considerably flushed and heated, and the rate at which I was going by no means conduced to refresh me. After ten minutes' sharp walk, I plunged down the narrow street where Burnett's house lay, and a few seconds later had kicked back the gate and marched up to the door. I was startled to find it ajar. Burnett was so habitually cautious that I knew something must be amiss. Pushing it slowly open, I stole noiselessly into the passage, and glanced through the keyhole of the door which led into the little parlour. It was well I had not tramped in. Two policemen and a man in plain clothes were standing round a hole in the floor, and the whole apartment was strewn with prized-up planks. On a chair close by was a heap of retorts, bottles and canisters, while three ugly-looking bombs lay on the hearthstone. Burnett, then, had really been mixed up in these outrages, and the police were on his trail, if indeed they had not already arrested him. And what about my own position? The best thing for me was to make off in a trice, for the entanglements, troubles and disgrace in which capture there would plunge me were too appalling to contemplate. Instantly I glided to the door, and gently, this time, revolving the gate, slipped out hurriedly into the street. Fortunately there was no one on watch, or my arrest would have been speedy. As it was, I rapidly gained the main street, and was soon lost in the broad stream of pedestrians. Having still three hours before me, I turned into a confectioner's, and over a substantial tea endeavoured to think the matter out. That I was furious with Burnett goes without saying. Only his fanatical theories separated him to my mind from the common murderer. But that he should be caught was a thought utterly revolting, for I had liked the man warmly, and had owed my life to his pluck. No, our friendship must cease henceforth, but it was at least my duty to warn him, if still at large, of the discovery. But how? There was only one course open to me. Outrages or no outrages, police or no police, I must be present at the meeting in the park that night. It was quite possible that Burnett, ignorant of the search made at his house, might be still strolling about London, a prize for the first aspiring police officer who should meet him. Yes, I would go and chance meeting the group, for I should mention that the exact spot for the rendezvous was unknown to me. All I knew was that it was somewhere near the pond to the left as you enter from the Queen's Road. The best thing I could think of was to idle outside the park until I could climb the palings unnoticed. The sky was overcast with clouds, and so far the project was favoured, Hazardous as was the affair, my resolution was speedily made and fortified. Leaving the shop, I sallied out for a stroll and passed the remaining interval as best I could. Then I called for a hansom and, leaping in, ordered the driver to take me to the marble arch. He demurred at first, saying the journey was too much for his horse at that time of night, but his scruples were silenced by the offer of a half-sovereign for his pains. The mute objections of his steed were quashed with a sharp cut of the whip, and I was whirled swiftly on to an adventure which was to beggar the wildest creations of romance. 
at the marble arch i dismissed the cab and walked briskly along hyde park side in the direction of notting hill i had gone some few hundred yards when a hansom sped by me rapidly and a well-known face within it flashed on my vision like a meteor it was burnett of all persons shouting and waving my stick i rushed wildly in chase of the vehicle and by dint of desperate efforts succeeded at last in stopping it as i approached the window the trap flew up drive on man drive on never mind growled a hoarse voice and i heard the click of a revolver here i am i said getting on the step and rapping the window just as the man was about to whip up burnett stared what you here he said flinging apart the leaves come in quick i don't know who may be behind i mounted in a trice and the cab flew on faster than ever look here i said breathlessly i have come to warn you the police are on your track i know it my boy he rejoined but i think they have some way to run yet no fear i leave london in an hour what was the man talking of was he raving or boasting or what hi stop we got out and the cab rolled away complacently now over the palings cried burnett you will see hartman yes for an instant the demon of curiosity was urgent and the coast seemed clear all right come sharp it was no easy task for me tired as i was but with the help of my companion i got through it somehow hallo look a second cab probably informed by ours was bearing down rapidly with two occupants one of whom stood excitedly on the steps detectives we're spotted i leapt to the ground desperately heavens where had my curiosity landed me put your best leg foremost and follow me yelled burnett and his revolver flashed in the gaslight in my foolish excitement i obeyed him as we were rushed along i heard the men leap out and their boots clink on the iron of the palings i felt like the quarry of the wild huntsman of german legend if arrested in such a plight and in such company a deluge of disgrace if not worse awaited me i ran like a deer from a leopard but i felt i could not hold out very long at so breakneck a speed keep your pecker up shouted burnett brokenly hartman is waiting to be arrested with us was my thought or was more murder imminent god how i cursed my foolhardiness and useless sacrifice here we are at last cried my companion looking back over his shoulder one effort more half dizzy with fear and fatigue i made a despairing sprint when my foot striking a root i was hurled violently to the ground all i remember is seeing two dusky forms rushing up and burnett hurriedly wheeling round then from some unknown spot broke a salvo of cracks of revolvers a heavy body fell bleeding across my face and almost at once consciousness left me End of chapter four